Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Dope Black Podcast. Hello guys and welcome back to another Dope Black Dad podcast. My name's Cameron and today we get a much needed lesson and conversation with an entrepreneur and investor who educates, inspires and motivates wealth building in the African and American community. He is the founder of the Black Wealth Summit annual event coming real soon if you can bag a ticket that is of course but we'll go a bit more on that shortly and he's the author of the forthcoming book and I love this title Why Should White Guys Have All the Wealth? How you can become a millionaire starting from the bottom and the millionaire money moves supplemental invested investment guide. Sorry. Say that again. The, mon- the millionaire money moves supplemental investment guide. Of course, I'm talking about your millionaire mentor, Cedric Nash. Cedric Nash, how are you? Such a strong name as well, actually, by the way. I've said this I'm already. Doing- <laughs> I'm doing great, Cameron. Nice to meet you. Thank Good. you for having me today. No, thank you very much for joining me. Obviously, we're on like the opposite side of the world at the moment, which is quite cool. Uh, obviously, technology is doing a great thing at the moment. Um, but what I kind of wanted to start off this podcast with, um, and I want to make it more of a conversation than an interview, so I've just got like topics I wanted to talk about, um, was firstly the kind of money conversations that you started off having as a child, how was your kind of like childhood and how did you grow into, you know, how did you find out about wealth and your kind of journey from the beginning, really? Yeah, well, you know, to be honest with you, I was not, I didn't come from a wealthy family. My family was, uh, was very uh, middle class. Um, you know, my dad was a uh, correctional officer at a prison and then ended up becoming a parole officer. My mom worked, um, looking after the elderly. Uh, I grew up in a town that was uh, mostly African-American, retired military types, and w- of which my dad was. But we were butted up to a city that was known for a lot of wealthy people in the, in the area of Carmel Valley and Carmel, California. So that was the place where a lot of very rich San Franciscans had little vacation homes down on the coast and uh, to this town. So, you know, so I really didn't really come from money. However, I did come from a family that had really good financial values. And we always had great vacations and a great house to live in. And uh, my dad was always financially responsible. And I could always remember watching him dibble and dabble on the stock market when you had to go to the newspaper and go down and find your little small little stock (laughs) tickler there to find out what it did. This is before, you know, there was a the uh, insurgents of the personal computer com- com- uh, personal computers. 
But I did have, you know, and I talk about this in my book. I was lucky to, to uh, my dad's best friend, who we called Uncle AJ, worked for a very wealthy man, the richest man I knew at the time, whose family came from oil out of Texas. And Uncle AJ grew up with uh, John Walton. And John Walton had a private plane and he had a pilot and he had engineers and he had radio stations. He came to Monterey to buy a radio station and wanted to live in Monterey Carmel Valley area. So because my Uncle AJ worked for him, I was around these kind of wealthy people and was able to learn from them and found mentorship in one gentleman by the name of Gus Martin, who uh, kind of inspired me to become a engineer. And uh, Gus and I had a really, really good relationship. And I was able to see how John Walton moved around and how things moved around. And I also had two black millionaire mentors in my hometown of Seaside who were low-key African-American men who were doing incredible things in the name of Alfred Glover and and Robert uh, Taylor. And these guys owned apartment buildings, laundromats. They owned, they were doing housing developments. Um, you know, some of them owned Burger King. So they had, you know, they were doing a lot of things, but they were really low key. So a lot of people didn't know they were as wealthy as they were. Fortunately, they were friends of my dad and kind of took me on as a protege. And I learned a lot from them and they kind of shaped my mindset around wealth. And then when I went away to college in San Luis Obispo, I met another one by the name of uh, Gilbert Bruce, who owns a sandwich shop, a little motel, apartment buildings, ended up living with him close to my last year in college and learned a whole lot around just being around these gentlemen. And so, you know, they're somewhat of my muse for writing this book about how to become a millionaire starting from the bottom because I'm taking the lessons that I've learned from them and putting them into a book and formalizing them so that you know, hopefully the book can be, you know, what Robert and Al and, and uh, Gilbert Bruce were to me. Yeah, I can, I can completely see that. It's kind of like the book is the kind of ultimation of everything that you've learned and you're kind of now sharing it out for people. And I love how, because a lot of people feel like you have to, like you mentioned, have to be in like a, um, come from a rich family, which isn't the case. You can get there literally just by surrounding yourself with people who, or knowledge um, of people who have that, um, that financial etiquette and all that kind of stuff. Uh, which kind of brings me on to the question about financial literacy. And I know in your socials, you talk a lot about this as well, the difference between kind of like financial literacy and wealth literacy. Can you go into a bit more detail on that for us? Yeah, you know, it's like one of the things I commonly say is financial literacy won't close the racial wealth gap. Now, there's been a lot of emphasis on the need for financial literacy within the Black community, which I don't disagree with. However, financial literacy by itself does not achieve a particular goal other than making you more knowledgeable. And I like to look at it as more wealth literacy. And wealth literacy's goal or objective is to make you wealthy. And there's completely distinctive different things. Financial literacy might teach you how to balance your checkbook or teach you about improving your credit score or teaching you about compounding, right? It's wealth literacy is gonna teach you how to buy an apartment building, is gonna teach you how to manage that apartment building, is going to teach you how to uh, develop a winning portfolio that you build over time. Because wealth literacy's objective is to grow your wealth, is to make you wealthy, and that's what that's. And from that perspective, is what I created the book from. It's like everything I do around the book is measuring your level of wealth from the beginning all the way through the end. Because if we're going to close the racial wealth gap, if we're going to become millionaires, that means our net worth, the sum of our assets minus the sum of our liabilities have to equal a million or more. So the only way that can happen is if you're focusing on your wealth, right? If you're focusing on how do I make my wealth go grow up? And it's really simple. 
uh, conceptually, but it's challenging where the rubber hits the road. So how do you make your wealth go up? You have to buy assets. And over time, those assets appreciate in value. And if you buy the right assets, they'll generate income too. And that could be in the form of security stocks by buying dividend stocks. That could be in the form of apartment buildings or commercial office space. Uh, and that could be in the form of a business uh, entrepreneurship, which actually grows in value and create income. And the other thing is in alternative investments, which is private equity, hedge funds, venture capital, um, as well as angel investing, investing in other businesses that grow and generate income and appreciate. So the whole concept around my book is teaching people how to position yourself to do just that, invest in those things. Those are the things that make you wealthy over time. And that's how I've been able to build and maintain my wealth over the past 25 years or so. Do you feel like you have to be financially literate before you can be kind of wealth literate or or do they, do they work together? How does that kind of relationship happen? How was it for yourself? You know, really? I, I love that you said that because I get that question often. They're like, well, don't you need financial literacy before you need wealth literacy? Uh, not necessarily. They're not like saying, yeah, I, I studied computer science engineering. You had to take trigonometry before you take calculus one. You had to take calculus one before you take Calc 2 yeah. or Physics 1 before you take Physics 2 because they're building blocks. They're not necessarily building blocks. They're actually mutually exclusive, to be honest with you. And I can tell you um, exactly why. My grandmother, who um, was, uh, you know, my grandmother who had an eighth grade education and worked at a cleaners and made $200 a month, right? She did not take that one financial literacy class, but she built wealth, right? No one told her about compounding. But she knew to save and to live under her meetings and to buy a house and to save for her retirement and to buy a car. And so by the time she died, she had $43,000 saved up of which 13,000 went to her funeral and $30,000 went to her grandkids. And I took my, my $10,000 and, and turned it into millions. So the whole point is, is like financial literacy, I just don't want us to become uh, overly obsessed with needing more financial literacy because more financial literacy is not going to make you wealthy. What makes you wealthy are your actions, your intentions and your actions to actually buy, you know, buy assets that grow. And so I don't need to understand compounding to buy an apartment building. I need to understand cap rate. I need to understand, you know, uh, uh, you know, internal rate of return. I need to understand these other things that are not taught in financial literacy. So it's a different discipline that you need about wealth. To buy a business, do I need to understand about compounding? No. I need to understand how to value a business. I need to understand cash flow. It's a whole different subject. You get what I'm saying? So they're not a prerequisite. But I understand how logically people think that it would be, but hopefully I explain to you why it's not the same. Yeah, that's a perfect perfect explanation, actually. It it goes hand in hand with that saying of like knowledge is knowledge is power which isn't true it's applied knowledge is power which kind of gives me an idea of what yes. wealth literacy is yes. it's that applying knowledge not just knowing what it does you need to know how to do it if that kind of makes sense um, yes because there's a lot of people who know what it does and they can you know they can recite it verse script you know the whole nine yards but they haven't done it and so when you buy your first apartment building and you figure out well how do i get tenants well how do i deal with evictions that's wealth literacy why because you're learning how to maintain your wealth your wealth is your asset. You're learning how to maintain that asset, getting that asset to grow, getting that asset to produce for you. Whole different set of knowledge than compounding, than savings rates. And I, I, I definitely am taking a lot from this because 
for me, I've, I've recently been doing a lot on my kind of financial literacy side. I've done quite a lot. I've been training to be a financial advisor. I know the, the terms and all that kind of stuff, but the bit I've always struggled with, all right, great. I know about compounding interest and what you need to do, but how do you actually do it? If that makes sense, which is kind of where wealth mm-hmm. literacy kind of comes in. So that brings me on to the question of kind of, obviously assets is a huge, um, huge part of wealth literacy. How do you go about mm-hmm doing the first building block steps. What would you say the first building block steps for people? Well, the first building block steps is to understand how to invest in the market. And I talk about that in my book. My book literally kind of goes stock market, real estate, entrepreneurship, alternative investments, right? It's it's their kind of building blocks. In fact, I have a instrument I call my, my uh, Millionaire Money Moves Investment Ladder. And it teaches you how to go, because I'm really serious when I talk in the book, how to become a millionaire starting from the bottom. I'm literally assuming that you have nothing. But sacrifice and grit and patience and consistency. Those are the four things that you definitely, definitely need. So, uh, and a job and a a willingness to work and to work harder and to earn more money, find ways to earn more money. So I created an investment ladder that tells people that if you're starting from zero, your first step is to get to a thousand. Once you get to a thousand, you can invest in index funds, EFTs, you can invest in stocks, you can invest in mutual funds. And now let's invest in some securities and build a portfolio that is diverse, that can grow, and then eventually you can get build up enough capital. The reason why you invest in securities is because that's the fastest way to grow your capital while you're saving too. So you're like working hard to build more capital and you're investing it so you can grow it to the best ability that you can. And what I mean by that is I'm not talking about trying to double it or triple it overnight by investing in risky things like cryptocurrencies or things like that. I'm saying a solid portfolio that is gonna grow. I mean, your objective is to get 7% or more return because the 7% return after 10 years gives doubles your money every 10 years. And so you have to have this mindset that says, if I get a 7%, 6% return, that's reasonable. That's good. That's better than what I can get from the bank. I wanna save good return that I can build upon. So the name of the game is to, the first thing to do is to learn how to invest in securities and develop a diverse portfolio. Now, I'm not like those guys like you know, Robert Kiyosaki, and Grant Cardone, they're big into real estate, which I love real estate, and I'm big into it as well. You know, they're all real estate, and they're like, forget the stock market. I don't believe in that. I believe that you should have a diverse portfolio around stocks, around real estate, around different types of real estate, right? Around entrepreneurship, as well as alternative investing, which is a little bit more riskier for the high net worth folks, but you need a, a mixture of it. Why? Because today, what's happening right now? Stock market is flat. It's dropped over 30% in the last year or so. It's flat. What's hot now? Rental, rental income, right? Real estate. So if you have real estate, you can almost charge what you want and people are gonna have a hard time finding cheaper rent. So if you did, if you had all stocks into real estate, you're kind of stuck. And so, you know, in 2008, when the market was terrible, if you were in real estate, and you were in stock, both you were suffering. But the reality is from 2008 until 2022, the market's grown over 400%. So, you know, so the whole point is you need all cylinders to work. And the objective is to, within my investment ladder, to eventually get to what I consider a level seven investor, where you have all four investment types going and you're diversified and you're, 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 you're equipped to continue to build your wealth. That is incredible. But bombs of knowledge just there, to be honest, <laughs> which I'm definitely going to take, which I think is incredible. Um, yeah, so one thing that you mentioned, which was quite interesting, I just wanted to quickly just 
bring on top of is you also mentioned, which not a lot of people who are, you know, considered financial gurus or mentors talk a lot about, which is like you said, get a job, especially if you're starting from the bottom, because there's so many that are like, mm -hmm. you know, quit your job and go off and do this, and do real estate and crypto and yada, yada. But um, obviously starting off with that job is, as you mentioned, is super key because you need to take those steps. Um, and another thing that you've also mentioned is that whole like um, idea of, when you invest in the stock market, it takes time. You've said it 10 years, like it was nothing, which some people are like, oh my God, 10 years, but it really is nothing on the grand scheme of things. So what advice do you have to someone who kind of originally looks at that kind of idea of investing, taking like 10 years, how, how do you kind of get rid of the, the stigma of, I need to be fast, I need to get, do something quick, quick, quick. Right, how you get rid of the stigma is you just look at, the stigma is you just look at reality, right? Who gets rich fast? Name somebody, Mark Zuckerberg got, he became a billionaire after what, maybe five years and about what? I think the number was close to $12 million in startup capital. Wow. Who gets, you know, that's one of the problems with our community. The black community is that we're so fixated on these three things, fast, easy, relatively free. These three things have been the disdain of our community because cryptocurrency promised us fast with no effort and very little money and you make a, you, you hit a grand slam. It's like these concepts, these pyramid schemes that that haunt our community. Everybody or even seminars and conferences. You know, we have the Black Wealth Summit coming. There's loads of conferences, prosperity conferences, and all these conferences where these people are charging you loads of money to, to give you the secret to building wealth. But I say really early on in my book, there is no secret to wealth. There's only effort and sacrifice. If that's it, right? And the and, and consistency. So it's going to take time. And that's part of the mindset thing. I talk in my book. My book is about three things. It's about developing a millionaire mindset, adopting millionaire values, and making millionaire money moves. The millionaire mindset, that's the offense. The millionaire values, that's the defense. That's keeping it. And making millionaire money moves is the playbook. That's the how. The reality is you need all three to get there. Because if your mindset is off, then you start jumping, chasing waterfalls or into things that don't get you there. And you don't, you're not consistent enough. So I take a slow, consistent approach because that's the high probable approach. And my approach is for the everyday worker, everyday person. It's not for the one percenters who make extreme amounts of money and can invest and make mistakes and reinvest. It's also not for the one percenters or the people that are highly connected to, to venture capital, right? Less than 1% of African-Americans get venture capital. My system is for that everyday worker who has to work and kind of put in the work and are willing to put in the work because I'm confident that I can make you a millionaire. I don't care, you know, regardless of your age, your race, your income level, because it's been done not just by me, by countless of others who've started below the bottom and have gotten there too. And I think as well, like you mentioned at the beginning, like even for your own, for your own personal journey, you have seen black millionaires. And I think a lot of the time, a lot of people think it's just white people that are, um, you know, super rich and a majority of them are, and that's a conversation we're definitely going to get into, but there are black millionaires mm -hmm. out there. And if they've done it, we can do it too. Um, so that kind of brings me on to the and our next topic I wanted to speak about, which is the wealth gap. And what is it? Why, why are, like you said in your book, why are white people having all this money and black people are, what do you think is the reason that one started it and is continuing it? Okay, good. These are questions that my book actually addresses and answers. And what's so funny is you brought up something that was kind of funny because I was 
talking to a lady I was dating one time and I was on my rant about why should only white people be getting rich? And that's how the title kind of came about. And then there's Reginald Lewis's book, Why Should White Guys Have All the Fun, which I love that book. I read it and I was like, ooh, I want to use, I want to title my book, Why Should White Guys Have All the Wealth? But I don't know if I could touch Reginald Lewis's work. That's just like trying to sing the national anthem behind Whitney Houston, right? So that's how I felt. But I had to go with it because it was really, really how I felt. And it was really, really how I believe that white people, that black people have to rethink different. Like, why should they be the only ones getting rich in America? Now, I know that there's a lot of African-Americans getting rich. We've got about eight or nine black billionaires and they continue to pop up from time to time. But, you know, that's a small portion of the billionaires in the country. It's like it's probably less than one percent. And we represent 14 percent in the United States. So there's more room for us. And so, you know, why the racial wealth gap exists has a lot to do with, you know, have a lot to do with history, with with slavery, with the whole fact that we come over to this country, had to learn a new language, new religion. We had to learn a new way of life. They took everything from us and then they forced us into free labor, um, obviously. And then out of that, we came into, uh, you know, sharecropping, which my father was a sharecropper. He was, he, he's a son of a sharecropper. That's how they lived in North Carolina. And then we go from sharecropping to, to basically, uh, uh, um, um, reconstruction and and we go into you know uh you know redlining and jim crow and all of these systemic racist practices that have kept us behind significantly and then by the time we were ever able to really do some things on our own you know white folks were many many years light years ahead of us in terms of wealth so it's not even reasonable to expect that our wealth should be equivalent because of how we started I also think that, and this is a new thought that I have that I have not really shared yet. I had some conversations with us is that we, we get fantasy. We, we, we over fantasize over, we got to close the racial wealth gap. We got to close the racial wealth gap. The reality is we don't have to close the racial wealth gap. And the reality is it's probably unlikely that we will close the racial wealth gap. What we have to do is prevent the wealth gap from widening, right? If we can prevent it from widening, then we've done a lot. Let me tell you why. It's because in order for us to close the racial wealth gap, our rate of growth, our, our rate of wealth growth has to be bigger than theirs. And they have all the they have all the resources, they have all the assets. So now you're saying, I gotta take this team that has less resources and they have to grow faster than the leader in order to close it. Because you have to understand the leader's wealth is growing too. Mm. So in order to close the racial wealth gap, either they their rate has to slow down or they have to stop or our rate has to increase at an incredible pace, which is unlikely. So it's even crazy that we fantasize over the fact that there is a racial wealth gap. What we should focus on is what is our wealth doing? Is our wealth growing or is it going backwards? Right. The whole near point of comparing ourselves to that's just like, you know, Hussein Bolt, who, Bolt, Bolt. Here, here I am going to think that I'm going to be able to catch him. And he basically has a half a lap lead on me. It's impossible. I couldn't run faster than him even if we started side by side. So I just think that we have to rethink about this and really just get busy building wealth and economic might and leveraging our 1.6 trillion of spending power and turn that spending power more into investment power as opposed to just spending power to make them richer. That's what our focus needs to be. And all of these articles, and even with the government reporting 
about the racial wealth gap widening is pointless. Measure what we're doing as a community against ourselves and see if we're speeding up the pace, if we're going backwards or if we're standing still and use that to inspire us to move forward. But comparing us to an, a, a competitor that we could ever beat is just like taking a high school basketball team and saying, how do they play against the Golden State Warriors? Take a moment for silence. That is exactly a perfect example of, of, of what that what I I personally believe as well with this whole wealth cap thing is, like you said, it's we're, we're, we're fighting a race where we are already starting steps behind. And it's just about focusing on how can we, as individuals and as a community, just grow. Just focus on growing. Just keep on growing, keep on growing. Eventually, we'll get better and, and where we need to be. But it's not about watching the competition. It's about and not seeing it as a competition, just growing, right? Exactly, because it's impossible. They, they set the stakes so that we can't catch up. So all you're doing is just uh, doing more to damage our self, already damaged self-esteem, to make us feel like we're we're horrible because we're not growing at the rate or we're not growing faster. It's just mind boggling how that is. And so, you know, however, we still need to fight for equality. We still need to fight for policy that will make the game fair, that will create more opportunities for others. The other thing we need to do is that, you know, I believe that we are still due some form of reparation. You know, even if it's free education, if it's something, I mean, the Jews even got reparation. We're due something. And so I've had conversations with white guys who I consider friends and we have serious debates about this and they wonder, well, why are black people angry? Why do they seem so angry? Well, we're angry because we're constantly ignored. The things that we should be given while others aren't ignored. I mean, we send billions of dollars to Ukraine and I think we should do that because, you know, they're they are representing values that align with 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 America and, and our allies. So we should do that. But why, why why is it okay for us to ignore the needs of the African American people who've been taken advantage of and terrorized against forever? I don't believe in that. And so I think that we can do both as a country and we have to continue to fight for that. You need to be president now. <laughs> I'm loving it. I'm loving it. <laughs> oh God. You wouldn't want me to be president. <laughs> I'd get assassinated. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um but yeah, cool. So we've spoken a lot about kind of the wealth gap and stuff like that. And um yeah, now I want to talk a bit more about the Black Wealth Summit. So I'm just gonna open it up as that. What is the Black Wealth Summit? Well, the Black Wealth Summit is uh yo. Know, um, you know, people often talk, we can all always talk about the problems and we can always talk about what's needed, but I think it's more powerful to get involved and try to create the solution. And so the Black Wealth Summit is a solution for educating African-Americans on wealth literacy, right? Specifically wealth literacy. So it's a conference that we created that, um, you know, I founded it and I bought all my business executives and past clients together. And they enthusiastically embraced the idea of coming together to teach the African-American community how to build wealth. So often, African-American... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And I've heard this in the United States. We'll say, well, I don't know much about investing. I don't know about this. My parents never really had any money to invest. They never taught me these things. And we've continued to say that our family or previous generations didn't teach us this. And I believe that we have the resources within our community, our own community to teach it to ourselves. At the same time is that, you know, we're in a high technological state of, 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 of affairs. So there's resources out there that are available to us. And what, so what we did is we came up together with a concept. I had a concept to bring the brands of the major banks. We got sponsorship at Morgan Stanley, Bank of America, Charles Schwab, uh, UBS. Uh, We even brought some healthcare companies like Kaiser Permanente, Cigna, Gilead Sciences. We got New York Life there. We have uh, Truist Bank, West Bank Coast, some local regional banks. Uh, We've got uh, uh, Motley Fool Ventures on the pitch competition for startup uh, businesses. And we've got Raymond James that's sponsoring the college pitch competition. So we're bringing a conference together to talk about our wealth. Yeah, I was involved in a lot of uh, civic organizations and communities, and we would have events around wealth, and it would be one hour, and people would be all fired up. And then we'd never talk about it again until next year. So I felt like there was a need to have a conference that all we do is talk about things to grow and build our wealth. And what we did is we curated to meet people where they are. So regardless of if you're a beginning uh, investor, we have a track for you. If you're an intermediate investor, we have a track for you. If you're an advanced or accredited investor, we have a track for them. So we're teaching things like investing in public storage, investing in multifamily properties. I have a speaker that has 15,000 apartment doors that's going to talk about multifamily properties. We're talking about uh, you know Morgan Stanley's teaching options trading. So as opposed to somebody on social media who claims to be an expert at, at options trading, we're going to the experts themselves. And they're bringing mostly their African-American advisors to teach these sessions, to teach African-American people how to build wealth so we can ask the questions the way we want, how we want, without feeling embarrassed or concerned about our level of knowledge. So that's what the Black Wealth Summit is. We're hoping to continue that, to grow that, to grow more sponsors. It's an opportunity for our majority sponsors to invest in the education of African-Americans so that in the future, we'll have you know more economic might and more ability to build wealth. It's a win-win for everybody. It's a win-win for our community. It's a win-win for Black advisors. It's also a win-win for the majority firms 
like Charles Schwab and people like that that are investing in us uh, and they're investing significantly in this. And when people go to this, like you mentioned, there's like different tiers. So will there be someone who's like completely new to it and then someone who's like an absolute veteran in investing all in the kind of yes. same room? Perfect. No, and- what happens is we do oh. have we do have main tent environments because I, I right, failed to mention okay. that we brought in some celebrities like Damon John is coming to speak and oh, David Gardner from The Motley Fool. Uh, I said Damon John from The Shark Tank. We got Angela Yee from The Breakfast Club, host of The Breakfast Club and Iyala Banzan are our kind of headline uh, celebrity guests that are coming to speak. But the breakout sessions are are tagged based on your level of investment. Right, so okay. you have all kind of beginners in the beginner class and it's all based on your investable capital. You have all intermediate people in their immediate class and all advanced in their advanced class. But we don't, we're not hard and fast. If you want to move around and jump around, mm. we're, we're allowing you to do that. The whole point is that over time, you will grow your level of wealth and be able to take on more knowledge. And because we're partnered with the biggest and baddest firms in the world, we'll be able to bring investment innovation to the conference every single year because as they learn more new and innovative ways to invest, we're aligned with them. Mm. So it's like you're learning not just the knowledge, obviously, based off the different tiers of where you personally feel you're at, because you get to decide. Exactly. On top of that, you've obviously got the opportunity to, like you mentioned, have that wealth literacy, take action towards your own wealth um, by the people that you meet and the things that you're learning and bring it all together. So it's like a big, massive, like wealth growing summit, as you mentioned. That's exactly what it is. Yep, we hope to eventually do an international one and a conference uh, specific for um, advanced investors so we can talk about more private equity kind of type things. Um, we also have 100 HBCU students, college students, and we have a college track that Charles Schwab is sponsoring to teach college students and getting them on the path to building wealth coming right out of college. So these are college seniors that are gonna learn, invest in techniques, debt payoff techniques, things that they need that they may not have gotten at home or they may not have gotten at the university that will prepare them in life when they come out. So this is a, this is a project of love. Um, all nonprofit organization, you know, no, there's not one person benefiting from it. And like I said, in the sessions, you can speak to the moderator, you can get their business card, you can carry the conversation on. We're encouraging them to connect with these wealth experts so that these experts can continue to mentor them and coach them as they grow their wealth. I love that you're getting people who are just coming out of college as well, because I think if I think back to when I was coming out of uni, because we call it university, obviously, out, um, out from the UK. Um, yeah, for when I was coming out, I wasn't, and my mom was quite well at teaching me about finances. I didn't even, I was like, I'm never getting a credit card ever in my life. <laughs> I want to be super smart with money. You oh, know, she you know, was really good. Right? <laughs> so That's you were great. like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's, 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 it's really great to kind of give people that true, real knowledge on what has worked for people who have made it work at that kind of stage. Um, and now I kind of want to circle back. So for yourself, when you were kind of um, in kind of like, just like leaving college or in college yourself, how was you with money? Have you ever had like a really bad period and you've gotten over it? Or have you always just kind of been pretty well with it because of the people that you've met? Yeah, you know, as soon as I came out of college, you know, like I was talking about the living with Mr. Bruce and watching him read, you know, Wall Street Journal and all that kind of stuff, I started reading a lot and I wanted to really put my money to work. So when I came out of college, I was very, very focused about what I wanted to do. And I didn't come out of college going into an apartment. I bought a condo right out of college because I was doing consulting while I was in college, making 25 bucks an hour. And with that money, I bought my first condo 
I'd saved $7,000 and bought my first condo coming out of college. And uh, so I was really intense about it. So I was always pretty good with it, but over time I got really good with it. And um, so there in my book, I talk about my development, my learning lessons and, and throughout that whole journey uh, to make myself human and to, make, and, and to appeal to people that are in the same situation or even worse situations that, you know, it doesn't matter when you start. What matters is that you start and that you stay focused and that you can you can make up good ground. And when, if you could just like think back through your life, it's going to be quite hard to, to, to ask, to be fair. But like, when was that moment where it kind of clicked and you're like, you know what? I think I'm actually getting this. Like, when was that like aha moment? Like, yeah. Or do you feel like it's exist? funny, Cameron? The reality is I always thought I was getting it. You know, seriously, from the beginning, I thought I got it right. When I when I came out of college, I was budgeting, I was saving, I was living, you know, um, as modestly as possible. But it is a continuous and process, continuous improvement process. And then there were moments when I got even better with it. For example, different times in your life, you run across people that kind of give you different insights. Like I started a company. Well, before I started a company, I joined a partnership with some German guys, and the German guys. They managed their money so well. They had like no debt. So that was like, I wouldn't say that, you know, there are times where uh, where you run into people and you have an awakening and then you start transitioning the way that you do things to better things. So ever since I met those guys, I got into this no debt kind of a thing. So you know, like I, I live across four properties, uh, two of them that I Airbnb, but they're all paid for. Right, zero debt. The house I live in in Maryland, the house I live in in Florida, my two condos in Florida, zero debt. So I'm kind of, I kind of got a little um, uh, obsessed with not having debt, zero debt for those parts. So, but I will have debt on properties that I rent out, like apartment buildings, office buildings, stuff like that. I let them pay for it. So I'm saying when I run across these people, they give me a new thing to shoot for. For example, I talk about a black mentor I had, uh, Tim Weldon. And um, I was building a house in California. He lived around the corner from me. And I learned a lot from Tim. And one of the things that Tim kept doing was like, you know, because I always like to save and invest in the market. And I was I was so invested in real estate at one time that I wasn't cash. I didn't have as much cash. And so Tim would, you know, challenge me. I run into these guys, they challenge me. He's, you know, by now you should have a million dollars cash in the bank. And I did. So then I raced to get there. And then I had another conversation with him. And he was like, I said, Tim, how much money do you think it takes to retire comfortably. You know, if I had five million, you know, would that be enough? Tim said, "Well, when I did it, I had fifteen million. So he, yo, know, so I'm just saying, those kinds of things uh, um, really improved what I was doing. Uh, so it wasn't, it wasn't anything like it snapped. I always have these snaps when I run into people that are doing things differently, and they strive me, they, they cause me to strive for something bigger. And that's the whole point. I have a chapter about." having a millionaire mentor and finding a millionaire mentor. That's the whole point of who you hang out with. Show me your friends. I'll show you your future. You want to soar like eagles. You can't hang with turkeys. So it's like, it's the people that I surround myself with that keeps me challenged that uh, kind of raises the bar and causes me to kind of shoot for more. And that's really what I talk about in the book about changing who you hang out with. Because a lot of times people in our community are hanging out with people who are acquiring more things that show off that don't have any value and then they kind of go down that path right and it's it's such a um 
an easy thing to slip into when it, it, it's so easy to slip into because it's so ingrained in our culture to be around and be flashy and see, be around that kind of environment. It it's great to have that, but you have to have that kind of like building steps to to own that, to truly own that, not the credit cards and the debt that, yeah, because exactly. it's good debt, good debt and bad debt, obviously. There's so exactly. many people that I know um, like, Cameron, well, you sound like you read my book, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, honestly, I've seen it. I remember, I, like, my my backstory. I grew up in East London, which isn't the kind of well-known area. A lot of like black and minorities. And where I live now, other than I'm traveling at the moment, but where I lived now is in Nutsford, Cheshire. And every time someone hears that, they think posh Bridgerton and all that kind of stuff, right? And I used to right. idolize this place because it's where Rolls Royce, the originators of Rolls Royce lived. And I was like, this place is amazing. Right. And I realized even in a place which is full of wealth, they still do the same thing where they just like, they've got the credit cards and they're trying to make it look even more lavish than it is. And it's like, that's not really, why? <laughs> why would you do that? And it, and it just ingrained right, right. me to, to focus on, even if you come from a rich area or a poor area, it's who you surround yourself with and making sure they have it those is. foundations and core morals on what you need. Um, that brings you on to the question. So like you mentioned, that kind of, um, the person that was telling you, you know, go from a million, I go to 50 million. A lot of people will go, oh, well, money isn't all about happiness. What's your views on that? I'm gonna leave it open-ended just cause I, cause I know where oh, this I is going. That. I love that. No, I love that. I have a um, section in my book early on, what is wealth and, and determining your wealth purpose. And so, I believe there are seven reasons why people want wealth. Number one is for financial comfort. Another one is for independence and freedom. Um, another one is for power and control. One is for contribution. One is for love and connection. Uh, another one is for legacy, right? And the final one, I can't can't pull it off, but there's seven <laughs> reasons why people want wealth. Um, Read the book um, to find out. <laughs> oh, the, the third one is is is, is significance. The oh, seventh right. one is significance, right? And so a lot of people you see in the club, they want wealth for significance and make them feel important. And so in order to make them feel important, they have to buy things that bring attention unto themselves, like a thousand dollar bottle in a club that only costs thirty dollars, right? So they got to have people, the girls, bring it out to them so everybody can look at me. I'm the man, kind of a thing. Or so the whole point is, is that you have to discover your why for wealth. Because I say, once you discover your why, you can determine how wealthy you really want and need to be. So if you were to ask me, my why for wealth is really freedom is number one. Number two is contribution, which is what I'm doing with the Blackwell Summit and what I'm doing with my book to be able to give back in the way that I want to. Number three is legacy. And I have to be honest, I tell people I'm a mixed bag. I like to buy nice things and I like to save and invest. So there's a piece of significance in there. I like to buy nice I like to reward myself. And in my book and in my system, I talk about how you can reward yourself as you apply, as you acquire assets that continue to appreciate, you can decide to reward yourself. And that mentor I was telling you about, you know, he had a poor, she had multiple houses. He lived very well, dressed really nice, but he was very serious about his money. And so the reality is you can have both. You really can. The sad reality is, is that you can't have them both starting off. That you got to start off looking poor in order to get rich. And by the time you get rich, then you can you can look rich and be rich too. So starting off, you have to be willing to not care about what people think about you while you're building up your assets. And that's the reason why people struggle and never get there is it because they're still struggling with what's more important to them.
Ah, put it perfectly. Put it absolutely perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually lost for words. That's exactly what I mean. Like, yeah. Um, but yeah, let's 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 talk more about your books then. So before we go right into your books, what I kind of want to know is what made you decide to use the avenue of books? Like, have you always been a writer, or where, how did that? What made you want to go through books? I've always been a reader of personal finance books, yeah. and so I always knew that this book was inside of me, and I thought it would come out earlier. And after reading a lot of personal finance books and seeing that there was a huge gap between the rubber and the road, that I said, I want to write the complete personal financial book. And the one that basically takes you, because what happens is I had to read a lot of books like Rich Dad, Poor Dad and uh, Richest Man in Babylon and, and, uh, and Think and Grow Rich and those books. And then you had to create the picture. You had to create the plan, right? After you read the book, they didn't give you a plan. They just gave you a lot of good concepts. Even Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which is a great book, gave you a great representation of the concept of what you're supposed to do. What I do with my book, I give you the plan. And in my book, I have a thing called my Millionaire Money Moves Master Plan, where the person plans out just like I did. Because what I did is I read those books, created a plan. Now I created that plan and put it in my book so that people and taught people how to create their own master plan. Mm -hmm. And it breaks down their earnings, their savings, their debt pay down, you know, their investment plan, it, you know, their reward plan, how they're going to reward themselves, uh, their and their give plan, how they're going to give back. It integrates all of that around their budget, around what they earn. It gets them focusing on if you got to work a regular job, you work a work a regular job. But if you want to get wealthy, you're going to have to work harder. So you need to have a side hustle. Mm. And the eventual game is to turn your your main hustle, which is your job and your side hustle, into your investment hustle that does the work for you. And you have to keep doing that until your investment hustle is big enough to where you don't have to work anymore. And you can you can you can contribute your time uh, that you have on this earth in the way that you want to. We all are blessed with certain gifts and talents. The sad reality is a good portion of African-Americans are not they're not they're not living their gifts and their talents because they're too busy making other millionaires richer. Right. So the whole point is, is that you'll never get there. If you don't start making those sacrifices and position yourself to where you can use your gifts and talents to serve your purpose and that you believe that your God-given purpose is for this world. So that's really what wealth is for me. It's not about the money because, of course, you know, there's a whole lot of people that are much wealthier than me and have more access and control. But the whole point is after you have all that, it's like it's really about the freedom to do what you really believe that you really want to do and the contribution you want to make to this world. Maybe they're making that contribution by being the world's greatest clothes designer or being the you know biggest software company. You know, maybe that's you know that's their passion, and that's okay. The whole point is, is there's a whole lot of other passions out there that don't come with a billion dollar tag tagline, but it comes with a smaller tagline, and you could still have the peace and enjoyment that life has to offer you. Yeah, I've I've got actually got a friend who who literally replicated exactly what you said to me, where he was like. And he's a millionaire as well. And he was like, the best excitement I've ever had in making money wasn't when I made my hundreds of millions at all. It's when I made my first 100,000 and stuff like that. So after a certain oh, point, yeah. it just, it kind of just becomes, it's great, but it, it's never like that first struggle. And that first struggle is that bit that a lot of people need to, to fight through, obviously. Um, yeah, that's question exactly I to, true. That's so, so true. 
Yeah. And a question I wanted to ask to you, um, and this will kind of throw listeners off just a little bit. Obviously, it's clear Cedric has got a lot of money and he's doing pretty well for himself. And a lot of people might want to know, you know, what's the nicest car that he drives and what's the biggest house and all this stuff. Like I said, like he's been saying, it's not about the fancy, flashy stuff. It's about the foundations underneath. So the question I want to ask you, Cedric, is what's the best asset that you've bought that you look back on and go, I'm so glad I did that? There's two things. Well, if I look at the two best assets that I have, they would be, I go back and forth uh, because one of them, there's a story to it and that's what makes it so much sweeter. But it's my business. Both of them have stories to them. It's my business and this one little apartment building I own in Jersey City that I paid $360,000 for that's worth $2 million now. Wow. So that, because that was my first multifamily. And then not only that, I went through loads of ups and downs on it and wanted to quit and wanted to give up, but just found a way to keep at it. And I tell the story in the book and now it's worth 2 million. I'm gonna tear it down and turn it into 12 apartment buildings. The whole neighborhood's completely turned over. I bought it when people thought, I remember the lady across the street said, oh, you paid too much money for that property. Even though it cash flowed, I had a US post office tenant in there. So that it was a little mixed use property. So that was like one of my, I call that kind of like my gems, just because I, I like the location. And I like that I was able to predict that the market would be here sometime in the future. And then the market came there. So that's what makes it sweet. As I said, you know, I was living in this area in Jersey City. I said, this is where it's going to happen next. And so it's happened next there, right? So a lot of people want to be there. And so that's kind of a fun part of that. The other part is my business, which I started just with myself. There's been many ups and downs and kind of grown it from, you know, um, you know, from just myself and a secretary to up to over 300 employees and $90 million in revenue. And, uh, and to, it's just kind of amazing what you could do starting from the bottom. I didn't have any outside capital. I own hundred percent of the shares and it's just amazing what you could do when you're consistent, willing to work, willing to make the sacrifices and keep fighting because it's never pleasant. And it might be more pleasant for people who get outside capital, who knows, but the reality is, you know, it's mine. I did it. And it's a great, uh, it's a great sense of accomplishment. And then you buy yourself a Dash Ferrari or something, right? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I have two, I have, I'm on my second Ferrari. Nice, nice. <laughs> I'm on my second Ferrari. But, um, but the uh, first one, like you said, was sweeter than the first one. Yeah, yeah, uh, the, yeah. The first one was sweeter than the second one. Exactly. Um, just one as well, just a little bit deep, deeper, just because we've got a bit more time as well, actually. On the... Um, property that you've just mentioned you know that went from like 300 300 to 2 million what was one of the 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 kind of downs that you you were talking about that you like think oh my god yeah that was a real big just so people are aware that it isn't always right roses this, this is up. i love that you asked this question and this is stuff that i try to bring out in my book i try to bring a sense of reality of what it feels like you know you read some books and they're like oh buy multifamilies and and then just do this. And then and people are like, yeah, I want to do that. Then they do it. And then they're like, okay, this doesn't feel like the book was telling me, right? I bought this thing and now I got leaky roofs. Now I got water coming in the basement. Now I got an electrical problem. You know, now I got, you know, and now I don't have the money to fix it. So one of my lowest points was when I had it um, in one winter, the end of the winter, there was a, a, a a, a water hose spigot that broke off because of the cold. And it poured water into the basement up to about three or four, four levels high. And it was at the end of the winter. So I didn't even knew this thing happened. And then I, 
the, the, the winter comes back around and now my building's empty because I'm like trying to manage my business, other properties. I'm just going crazy trying to keep this all afloat. And I'm down to one tenant in that building. I still got to pay my mortgage. And that tenant was there in the winter and I had four heaters and four hot water heaters. And the, they'd all they'd all rusted out because they tried to start the pilot and they wouldn't stay. I'm like, well, what's going on? Come to find out they, the internals had completely rusted out. Like, well, how'd that happen? Well, you had a flood and you could see the line where the water was. And by the way, you got a $6,000 water bill you got to pay, Ooh. right? So now it's dead cold. The tenant has to move out. Now there's nobody in the building. And I've got these four hot water heaters and four heaters that has to be replaced or else all the pipes in the building could freeze over, damage the entire building. What makes it worse is insurance said, well, this happened about a year ago, about nine months ago. You had X number of time to file the claim because you didn't. We, we can't process it. So my insurance didn't cover me. So then I had to spend, and at the same time, my grandfather, who lived in the Bronx, uh, was in need of some money who I was looking after. And so he comes all the way to Jersey so I can give him some money. So I was just not feeling good that day. So I had to replace the heaters and, 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 the air, and uh, hot water heaters and heaters, get them back running so I can get heat inside the building with no tenants. And then eventually I refilled the building up. I got it leasing up. And then the market just went crazy over there in the area. And now today, I'm glad. I mean, but that, and that day I wanted to give up the property. I just like, hey, somebody could just, just take it off my hands. And so now looking at today, I wish a tenant would leave because if they leave, I'm just going to increase the rent and make more money on the building. And I do plan on tearing the building down because everything's built up around it. And I, I'm able to build the, you know, 12 unit apartment building, uh, building, building a salon studio at the bottom, which I, I build these salon studios and I'm building a rooftop apartment for myself when I want to be up in the New York area. So that's, you know, that's why that property is so sweet. I'll probably never sell it. I get offers all the time, uh, cash offers to buy it, but I'm never going to sell it. That's going to go down to my great, great, great grandchildren. They're going to be, they're going to live off the income off that property. Generational wealth. <laughs> that's it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh, honestly, Cedric, it's been an absolute phenomenal um, conversation to have with you today. Before we leave, is there any last little nuggets or anything last kind of word or wisdom you want to say to the people listening? I just want to say that if uh, if they're serious about you know building wealth, they want to sign up for the Black Wealth Summit. It's going to be an incredible event. I mean, it's going to be a conference unlike any of the, any of the other conferences that are advertised out there. Uh, we will deliver, no doubt. And um, if you can come to Maryland to come to the event, come down and say hello, connect. You know, I'll have 100 of my books for sale, maybe 200, because we're not officially releasing it until January 17th, the day after Martin Luther King's birthday, is when it will be officially released and it will go on pre-sale order probably uh, the day of the conference. So I have just 100 copies or 200 copies to sign and give out there. But um, and I'm also confident that my book will deliver. It will teach you how to become a millionaire starting from the bottom if you're willing to put in the work, make the sacrifices, be consistent and keep making millionaire money moves. Amazing. Honestly, thank you, Cedric, for all the knowledge you've um, you've said to everyone here. I'm definitely taking a lot in. Um, if you guys can get to the summit, I highly recommend doing it myself. Um, but yeah, I've been Cameron. This has been Cedric. And I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Dope Black Dad. See you in the next one. Thank you, Cameron. Dope Black Podcast.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.